Jesus is the reason we're here this morning. The reason this is called the good news, the gospel is the good news, is because it's empty. The tomb is empty. That's why this is good news. The reason we celebrate is because unlike every other world religion whose leader is in the grave, ours is alive. And do we live like he is alive? That's how we have to get out and have fun with people. That's how we got to go out and do things. Because Jesus is the one who changes things. I woke up this morning excited. I woke up this morning to the enemy trying to throw roadblocks and steal my joy this morning. I went and stopped to buy some water. I dropped my card three times. I'm like, seriously? Then I had to swipe it three times. And then I grabbed my bag to leave and I knock a bunch of stuff off the counter. Lady behind me laughs and says, I'll pick it up. I'm like, nah, I got it. I pick it up, put it up there. I'm like, I just hope I don't drop my guitar later. And I walked out of there. I said, guess what, God? I still have joy today because the tomb's empty. And so I came into church this morning. We're setting stuff up. Computers start going haywire. And I said, guess what? I still got joy because the tomb is still empty. And so if you can't get a little bit excited any other day of the year, get excited today because we celebrate an empty tomb and a risen Savior. And I'm telling you, I am just psyched about it because God's got big plans. He didn't empty that tomb, so we just sit here and do nothing. He emptied that tomb to give us a new life, to go out and make history. It just became more real. How many of you guys ever watched the movie The Passion? How many of you guys are broke every time you still watch The Passion? Yeah. When we think about the fact what Jesus went through for us, the fact he was scourged, beaten beyond recognition, still humanly impossible to carry his cross, he still carries it. Why? Because he loved you. Every time I watch it, it breaks me. I'm like, God, never let me lose this passion. But you know what that did? It made me start praying to say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And so I start digging a little deeper with God, and we get to Easter. And all of a sudden, I wake up this morning, and I get a picture. It's an empty tomb. Can't beat that. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a whole message right there. It's an empty tomb. You want to share the gospel with people? You got a manger, a cross, and an empty tomb. Why is the empty tomb so important? I'm going to get to that later. But the atmosphere of what God has going on right now in this country, because don't think God doesn't have an idea what's happening in this country right now. It's pregnant with possibilities because Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is hovering today just like he was hovering at creation, waiting for a few faithful people to step, to the, step up to the plate and say, guess what, I'm going to stay on my knees until you do something, God. I, I left the tomb empty so you could give people hope. That's, what, that's why it's good news, because we have hope in an empty tomb, because our Savior is risen. God is waiting, standing back, sitting down. Now, he could do it without us. Don't get me wrong. God's will is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But he put you and me here on this planet to partner with him to do the work. Because who better to do his work than the people he created that aren't worth it? If you think about it, how better to affect your friends and say, look what God's done in me.
how better to affect your workplaces than work better than everybody else and have joy doing it? How better to affect your family than to love them no matter what? And we can do that because of the empty tomb. But if we go back and we begin when, where we left off last week, where they were getting ready for the Passover feast, there was, import, there was an important thing that happened as they were getting ready for the Passover feast, as they got ready to sit down. And Jesus once again blew up our ideas of leadership. If you've ever read the story of when Jesus said, I've, you know, he says, I've longed to eat this meal with you. I've, I've been waiting for this to happen. Because he knew what was coming. Jesus knew. What does he do? Stands up, takes off, off his robe, grabs a towel, and became the lowliest servant in the household to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus, knowing he was going to the cross, dropped as to be the lowliest servant in that house and says, this is true leadership. Because he goes on to say, you call me Lord and teacher, and you're right, I am. But if you want to become great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to become a servant to all. Now, all is a pretty strong word. But that's how this whole night started that we celebrate. That's how we got to Easter, is Jesus on his knees with his disciples washing their feet. Think about that for a second. The king of kings, he started in a manger, lowly beginnings. But God is secure enough in who he is that he says, I'll do it anyways because I know who I am. And that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus took the last thing that the enemy had and took it back. The, all the enemy really has over us is death. That's it. The cross took that back. When he walked out of that tomb, he took back the keys to hell, to death, and to the grave to give us hope. And that's the hope we walk with today. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there is no other way than through the name of Jesus. And that's why he came. He came because from the beginning, from Genesis, Jesus, our God, talks about there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so temporarily, he set up a tabernacle which foreshadowed Jesus' coming. And they could go in once a year to sprinkle blood of a spotless lamb on the mercy seat for forgiveness of the people. Jesus began a ripple effect that's been happening and working for over 2,000 years now. Saying you no longer have to go in with the blood of a spotless lamb, because the Lamb of God came 
and shed his blood for us. I was reading an article this week about this, and I was tr- trying to figure out how to, how to fit it in. Churches today are afraid to talk about the blood. We don't sing the songs like we used to when I was growing up about the blood, because that's just weird. But without Jesus' sacrificial blood, we wouldn't have a doorway opened into the throne room. So the blood is still as important today as it was when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Because without it, we're still lost sinners. Jesus came and destroyed death. God's idea from the beginning wasn't that men would die. He didn't, that wasn't part of his plan. But when we sinned, we put that up. Okay? When, when Adam and Eve sinned, death came into the world. And that's, that's, the, that's what we lived with. His death was a sacrifice for all and was the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifices. So we no longer have to sacrifice. It says, with Christ, death died when he rose. Do you guys believe that today? If you believe that, you also have to believe when he said, and I'm going to go through the last seven things he said on the cross, but the last thing he said was it was finished. If you believe what we were just talking about, then you need to believe that what he said, when he said it was finished, he says your past failures are forgiven. It's finished. Your present sins are forgiven. It's finished. Your future sins are forgiven. It is finished. It was a total, complete, don't need to add nothing to it work that he did on the cross. When he said it was finished, he meant it was finished. He made the sacrifice once and for all for us to enter into the throne room and have a relationship with the Father. We, we, get to, we get to the empty tomb and we forget about the cross. We forget about what Jesus did for us. We forget about what he went through on the cross for us. We like the celebration. We don't like the brokenness. We like victory. We thought there was defeat. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes as they're sitting there watching Jesus get nailed to a cross. Their friend they've been hanging out with for three and a half years. Because he called them friends, remember? He said, I no longer call you servants, you're my friends. And you know what's, you know what's happening. His mother's there. His followers are there. They truly believed, and I said believed on purpose, he was the son of God. He was, but they still questioned it a little bit. Because if you read scripture, after this happened, they went into hiding. They thought they were next. Would you have done anything different? We like to think about the victory. We know Jesus is alive. Think about the brokenness of what Jesus had to do first. Because without brokenness, you can't have healing. Without defeat, you can't have victory. There's two sides to everything. And so before we get to the empty tune this morning, 
I want to talk about what happened since we don't have a Good Friday service here. I want to talk about what happened that day on the cross. And if I was standing there looking understanding that if you were the only person on earth, he would have died for you anyways. Look up to the cross. Look up to Jesus' suffering. The first statement Jesus makes during the crucifixion is found in Luke 23, 34. The first statement, this man who has taken a beating for the sins of the world... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about that for a second. He's in agony. He's getting the sins of the world tossed on him. It's getting heavier on him. He's lost a ton of blood. Physically, they say, probably couldn't have made it to the cross because science has proven that. And his heart is still for the broken. God, you still love them. Forgive them. Those were his first words. And when we think about that, and we think about the passion that has with that, and that's why this is called the Passion Week, because Jesus' passion was you. He knew without this, you could never enter into a relationship with the Father. It's why he came. And as you go forward from there, Luke 23, 39 through 43, we see a picture of the thieves next to Jesus on the cross as he's hanging there. And one thief is a jerk. You know, he's screaming out, if you are the son of God, then help us and let yourself off the cross and save us and say. And another, which I really pray that I can be like the other criminal and look at him and say, he doesn't deserve this. He's here by choice. Jesus, remember me. The brokenness that took from that guy. He said, I deserve what I'm getting. I deserved to be crucified because I'm a criminal. This man's done nothing but Jesus, remember me. And what does he say to him? Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. How do you think? And again, now remember, there's people. People are sitting around. They're hearing this happen. What's going through their minds as Jesus is doing this? As Jesus is praying for the people, nailing them to a cross, Father, forgive them, and then he tells this criminal, you're going to be with me today in paradise. You know the people who wanted Jesus there were mocking it. Just saying. They were mocking him. Really? Paradise today, huh? You're hanging on a cross. The enemy, he was ecstatic. He was under the assumption he was winning. He wasn't winning. But again, Jesus and the Father are secure enough in who they are that they can let evil think it's winning. And then they turn the tables on it. 
That's why there's that song that we had a couple of years ago that we were using in the church. We're going to take back what the enemy's stolen. We're going to take back joy. We're going to take back hope. We're going to take back victory. We're going to take back forgiveness. We're going to take it back because the enemy has no right to it because Jesus defeated him on the cross. The next thing you look at in the statements that Jesus made from the cross, found in John 19, 26. Mary and John are at the foot of the cross. And now, Mary was Jesus' earthly mother. John was his disciple. They're standing there looking up. Jesus' third statement says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Now, what came to me as I was reading that, what Jesus was saying from the cross, take care of each other. It wasn't just for them. It's for us today. He's looking at each and every one of us today saying, take care of those next to you. And you take care of them. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what our calling is to love each other. And so when Jesus made that statement from the cross, that's what really came to my heart. Is it still in effect today? He's saying, these are your brothers and sisters. Love them. Take care of them. Jesus never wasted words. Everything Jesus said had a point. And all of us at different points in our life it come up to different points. And that's where that one stuck with me. And then Jesus cries out in Matthew 27, 46, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Suddenly, the sky turns dark. Kind of like it did in here. This was somewhere around noon this happened. The sky turns dark, and Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? Now, I want you to understand, Jesus wasn't complaining, nor was he doubting. He was simply describing what was taking place. All the sins of the world have now been tossed on Jesus' shoulders. So when he's saying, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't that the father had turned his back on him. It was the weight of sin he was carrying at that point, standing on the cross. And he knew it had to be punished. Separation from the father meant more to Jesus than the cross scared him. Because he was with God at the beginning. He knew once he took these sins on him, they would have to be punished. And so he was carrying that burden with him. He wasn't afraid of the Father turning him, his back on him because God never turns his back on us. Never. If G, if God, and I've talked about it before. If God turned his back on Jesus on the cross, he will turn his back on us when we sin. So that means God probably didn't turn his back on Jesus on the cross. So when Jesus cried this out, it was from the weight and the burden. God had to punish Jesus as if he had personally committed every one of your sins. He had to, because that's what Jesus chose to carry, was every one of your sins and my sins. 
That's what he carried to the cross. And he did it because of the joy set before him, which was a relationship with you and the Father. And so if you struggle today, understand that the you, you, let me say it one more, you are the joy set before Jesus. You are. Understand, he has defined you as worthy. He's defined you after this as a masterpiece. And the fifth and sixth statements in this are what? I thirst and it is finished. Three little words shook hell and opened the gates that day. It is finished. And so when you struggle with something in your life, understand Jesus says it's finished. Why do we still feel guilty when, when, we, when we sin? Because we're still people and we're still going to make mistakes. Because we have an advocate for us who is working through us and a Holy Spirit that lives in us, that's who's called the advocate, that's going to remind us of righteousness. Whoa, what? You mean I don't have to feel guilty for my sin? You mean God's not condemning me for my sin? God's not making me feel shame for my sin? No, that's the enemy. God's reminding of your righteousness and who you are in him. Oh, that's a little different, ain't it? So if I do something wrong, it's not that God is waiting in heaven to punish me. He's trying to remind me of how good I am. Really? Live with that sometime. Quit worrying about feeling the guilt of sin and start living in the victory of righteousness. Jesus didn't die to make you feel guilty. Jesus died to set us free. When he said it is finished, he said it is finished indeed. When he says you're free, you are free indeed. There is nothing that can hold you back. And Jesus' last statement was a prayer. He started with a prayer. He ended with a prayer. He says, into your hands, O Father, I commend my spirit. And we get to today. The tomb, the rock, wasn't taken away for Jesus to get out. The, tomb was rolled, the stone was rolled away from the tomb so we could see in that he was no longer there. That's the victory we live in today. If you're struggling with something this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior this morning, if you've never understood who Jesus truly is, we're going to take a moment this morning to give you that chance before we take communion. If you've struggled with some things and you want to give them up to Jesus this morning, we're going to take some time this morning to do that. There is power only in the name of Jesus.